Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for hanging out. I'm. Uh, this is this is a kind of a recap. I was asked uh, by several people who have listened to the whole season of David, which, by the way, you guys are awesome. Uh, I just, <laughs> you guys are awesome. But I was asked uh, by by several who have listened to the whole thing. They were like, can you do kind of a recap? Like, what was it like, you know, to do the whole year and, and then listen to it? And man, it was it was a learning curve on so many levels for me. I I had I'd forgotten a lot of David's story. I, and I love David and I have taught David many times as a preacher and as a you know a camp speaker. But the length of David's life surprised even me. And and man, I it's still I remember the first time uh you know I was I was thinking about doing this. This was a COVID project, right? I've been told a number of times, Bob, you need to tell story. You need to tell the story. You know, Bob, you 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 have a gift. You have a way of bringing insights into the into the story that a lot of preachers don't or can't. And so I took that advice. Right, COVID came out, and we were quarantined for two weeks. And I was like, all right, let's just do this. And I was told, just do it, Bob. Just start recording. Everything will it'll it'll, it'll be easy. And I remember I started to uh, I started to do some research because I thought this is probably about a a ten to twelve hour uh, podcast. So we, we were talking, you know, I talked with, with Brian, the, my producer, cause he was very encouraging about doing this. And he was like, yeah, like, that's fine. Like we can do, you know, 30 minute ones and then you can, uh, you know, we'll spread it out over 24 weeks and this will work out great. And then maybe you can do something else, but you know, who, who cares? Like, we'll just do it and then we'll just see where it goes from there. So I started doing research and I started making notes and and I remember getting to my notes on like episode eight and realizing this is this is going to go more than this is going to go more than uh, 10. This is going to go like I, I don't need I'd have to look over my notes, which I'm not doing and I'm not doing it on purpose because I would I would start to preach again. This is just gut reaction to to the last season of uh, season one of, of David. And I I uh, I remember thinking uh, like I don't even know if I got through uh David's birth yet at episode eight because I I remember starting with Saul because Saul in in my early research I was like this is this is important we need to start with Saul because Saul's self-rejection well rejection of his father and the way that Saul responded I think is the same sort of rejection that David felt from his father uh, his father was Jesse, but their responses were completely different. Saul became, like I said, uh, and, and I dealt extensively in in the episodes with self-rejection. Saul constantly was trying to prove himself, constantly trying to be worthy of the call of God because he didn't feel worthy of his own father, and he didn't know what to do with that. And he became protective and, and uh, dictatorial tyrannical at times, uh, you know, always complimenting or uh, uh, bribing people in essence with gifts and and land and titles. And 
and he kept the, he kept doing that more and more with just the tribe of Benjamin to isolate himself from all the other influences because he was scared. He was scared, and that's the general approach of most people that deal with self-rejection. They become isolated, and and Saul did that, and it and it ruined him. Like it ruined his spirit. He just was so devastated with depression and and despondency and disappointment and not you know trying to avoid disappointment and then being a disappointment and and feeling that and not wanting to feel that and i really believe that that david and saul had the same heart for god and i think that's something that david saw in saul and it's why he was committed to saul even after saul attempted to kill him twice I think he saw it. He saw Saul the way that God saw Saul, and he was like, I, I'm for this guy. I'm not going to try and kill him in order to take over the kingship. This was later on in life after David had been anointed. I'm not going to try and take it over. I'm not going to try and take it over because I know what this guy can be when he's in his right mind, when he works out of, his, out of the true identity that God's given him. And I find it fascinating, uh, even for me, in telling the story from those from from those two perspectives on on two kings who had a similar heart for God, but but dealt with father rejections uh, differently. And I know I know a lot of people uh, they they don't they don't appreciate that because in their minds you know God somehow you know chose Saul because he knew Saul would fail and he wanted Israel to be punished for not choosing him. And then he chose David in order to, uh, you know, lift, you know, lift them back up out of the doldrums of what they chose. I don't know. It's, it gets all twisted. And I know uh, this, this is why I'm not looking at my notes because I would just start like going down those roads. But for me, one of the things that I think really impacted the whole story was the rejection of the fathers of both Saul and David. And how that, how each one dealt with it differently. Like David, David found acceptance in love in God, and and I believe through the direction of his mother, really um, worked into the life of someone who is loved and accepted by God, and that allowed him to not be impacted by his circumstances, even though you know his circumstances were incredibly dire at times and difficult and. And, you know, uh, you know, the responsibilities that he was taking on as hundreds of people started to depend on him and followed him throughout the wilderness uh, while being chased by Saul. All of that, you know, impacts David. And he chose uh, to always go to his, his true identity, which is in God. And I, I see that all the times, all the time in Psalms. You know, he looks at his circumstances and he talks about how horrible they are. And then he always comes back around to be like, but you are awesome. You are love. You are kind. You are merciful. And you will redeem me. Now, do I think David always had a perfect picture of God? No, I think he had he had uh, pictures of God that involved God wiping out his enemy, literally killing them all. I don't think that's what God does. But I do understand that's the way it feels. Like you, David, David in his we'll call it artistic way, knows that God will wipe out the enemies of those of his children. Now, God, how does God wipe out? Well, he wipes out with love, right? You could say that light wipes out darkness. 
it wipes it out. It, it's it's to darkness, light is very violent. But I don't think God does that to people. I don't think he comes in and wipes them out uh, with violence because I don't think he has that in his uh, in his weaponry of how to of how to deal with life. He's way more creative than, than violent, way more uh, way more wise and loving than violent. And I think David, at some level, understood it, but I think at times he he also understood what war was like because he went to war so many times. And I think he wanted God to respond the same way. And I think that there's some really good discussions to have about war and God and where God stands when it comes to war. I don't think war circumvents God's goodness. I think God's goodness can still come through war. Because I don't think anything can circumvent God's goodness. But just because God's goodness shows up in a very negative situation doesn't mean that God's good with the negative situation. Ah, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, that's mm, let's keep going. <laughs> I think probably for me, uh, the the other thing that I that I tried to emphasize and. Uh, I know I went back to a couple times is that of the the rape of Bathsheba. I know growing up there were there were a number of times where I heard the story of Bathsheba in which somehow Bathsheba bore some level of responsibility for being quote you know naked taking a bath naked on her rooftop when David was at the, at the palace. And I think we did a good job of dispersing that mindset. Uh, both because of the, the literally uh, there is no responsibility placed on on Bathsheba and orally the oral traditions place no responsibility of the rape on Bathsheba. It's all placed on David. And the idea that David was home, I think we we investigated that nicely. Uh, he was home in the palace and had been for a number of warring seasons. I know that a lot of preachers like to get shall we say, passionate about the fact that, you know, men need to get out of the house and do what they're told to do or do what they're designed to do, to do battle when it's time to do battle. And there's, I, I understand what they're trying to say, but the the reality of, of David's story is that's not why he was there. He was there because he had lost a step and, and the men did not want him to die. And those, the men, uh, like Joab and, um, Ab, Ab, Abish, no, Abishai, uh, they did not want the dream and light of Israel to be destroyed. So they forced David to stay home, and he agreed. Now, I don't know, uh, I don't know what all that means. Uh, for those that, that really need David to be shirking his responsibilities in order to you know, manipulate men in the audience to, to step up and do the right thing, I'm guessing you'll have to find a different story. But there's just nothing there's nothing there to indicate that David did this on purpose or had suddenly just decided I'm going to I'm going to hang out at the palace and do nothing while all my men are out in the battlefield. I think David would have preferred to be in the battlefield, but but he wasn't. But he wasn't. And you know, David had plenty of things to distract him uh if he wanted to. He had 24-hour a day worship. He could have he could have wrote songs. He could have and maybe he was I mean, I, I know plenty of people who struggle with sexual sin, 
who also go to church on a regular basis, some of whom are on worship teams. It's it's not, it, you know, it wouldn't. It's not like David. I, I don't think David had like fallen from God. I think uh, I think he just got really comfortable and arrogant, and figured, hey, why not? And then when he found out who she was, that was the other thing I think we investigated really well was the the family connections of Bathsheba. The fact that her husband was a mighty man, but was a foreigner. Her father was a mighty man of David. So they were both within the, the, shall we say, the the inner circle of David's warriors. Both were commanders. Her husband probably commanded a a group of 500 men, and her father probably commanded a a group of either 1,000 or 10,000 men. And then... And then her her grandfather, if you remember Ahithophel, he was the wisest, most trusted counselor of David. Like the fact that he got involved with Bathsheba at all speaks to the the arrogance of his trust that his men would do nothing about it if they ever found out. This is this is uh, you know an aspect of the story that often gets lost or at least ignored because usually there's not enough time. Or the preacher's trying to trying to manipulate a, a response from the people, and very I've, I've very seldom heard what David does to Bathsheba as rape because Solomon comes out. A lot of people are like, well, you know, God, I I I think I mentioned this in the episode, but I literally heard, I mean, this guy is one of the most well known preachers in in the world. And I listened to a recording of him on David and Bathsheba, and he was in front of at least 25,000 people. And he was like, you know, uh, Michael or Michelle was Saul's choice for David. Abigail, his wife Abigail, was David's choice for David. But Bathsheba was God's choice for David. And I just about fell out of my chair. I was dumbfounded that a man of, of that biblical stature would look at at David's rape of Bathsheba as somehow designed by God so that Solomon could be born. To me, that that speaks of such a narrow vision of God's sovereignty that God needs certain things to take place and he will literally force that to happen because if it doesn't, somehow he's out of a job or something. We've touched on God's sovereignty uh, and we will continue to touch on it in season two. But I believe God's sovereignty is oversees all possibilities, all possibilities. There is no there is no possibility that God's goodness doesn't show up or isn't already planned for. So there's no choice you could ever make that would cause his plans to just fall apart. I don't think he ever has to step in and force something to happen in order to, quote, have his will uh, come about. And I, I understand that, you know, you can look at it and say, well, what happened if this and what happened, you know, if this doesn't happen, then then all of Israel falls apart or, or whatever. And I, I just, I don't know, the, the more, the, the older I am and the more I know about God, the less I'm convinced that he needs to make stuff happen in order for stuff to happen. He's pretty awesome. And I think he's got uh, good stuff going on all the time. I think he's good all the time. I think he's been good all through time. So the rape of Bathsheba and then the ramifications of that, the killing of Uriah and um, just, I believe, the separation that occurred 
uh, within the ranks uh, from David. I believe that Ahithophel, as you know, if you followed all the episodes, I think it's pretty clear that Ahithophel uh, orchestrated Absalom's coup, coup um, his political coup that took over, you know, literally took over Jerusalem. And when and when he realized that Absalom caught on to being manipulated, and in Absalom's pride, he decided to, you know, counteract or counter, uh, you know, go against Ahithophel's uh, really good advice. Ahithophel went and killed himself because he knew the gig was up. It was like, yeah, I am not going to make it. One, he knew Absalom's arrogance. He knew Absalom's uh, lack of leadership skills. And he was like, if I can't control him, then this whole plan is going to crash. And man, did it crash, right? I mean, it crashed hard. And David, of course, was devastated. And and Joab, Joab did a nice lesson on honor in there. And that was it. I, I, like, I actually really liked that episode. That one caught me by surprise. I remember... I just remember reading it and working, you know, working my way through. And at that point, I'm at whatever episode fifty something, and you know, I, I, I'm I'm way past, I'm way past episode twelve at this point, knowing that this is going to go on forever. And it was just really cool to see <coughs> Joab step in and really be a good friend to David and to his men, and be able to show David, hey. You know what? What you're doing here is really hurtful to the men and to the and to the nation. So that was good. Uh, I enjoyed that one. That one kind of caught me off guard. And then I think generally we coming out of that, uh, we talked about David's lack of fathering skills, and I do think uh, that goes to the fact that he didn't have a good father. I mean, I don't think Jesse. He, I'm not saying Jesse was a bad father. He was not a good father to David. Uh, I think I think David did a lot. I mean, there's there's good records of his brothers that were part of his military, part of his government. Uh, I think that David uh, reconciled a lot of relationships within the family, but he never learned how to be a good father from Jesse. And Jesse, I don't think ever stepped in to correct uh, that, even amongst his grandchildren. Jesse could have had a role. And maybe helping, um, was it three different sons that tried, yeah, three different sons that tried to take over the kingdom from their father. Which just, it it speaks, one, to David's lack of fathering skills, but also to to the fact that that even with 24-hour-a-day worship, even with uh, the access to heaven that David was able to teach his children how to connect to heaven, how to talk with God, how to be in the presence of God, <clears throat> I think he even taught them how to ascend uh, Solomon, uh, you know, did it as well. But I think, I think that uh, on a mystical plane, David, David had a lot of access uh, to the heavenlies. And even with all that, people still get caught up in the political culture of the world. And I think, uh, you know, several of his sons did that, and they thought, hey, Dad's got a good, good, good gig going here with this nation. I could take it to the next level. If I was in charge, and three of them attempted to do that, I uh, was also surprised by the bitterness of David at the end. I, I knew that David had asked Solomon to, you know, type take out Joab, take out uh, um, Shimei, 
and uh, Solomon, the last the last son that tried to take over, actually tried to take over from Solomon. You know, Solomon ultimately killed him as well. Um, I think that that surprised me when I when I went back over the over the life of Shimmy and actually saw that Shimmy was the repentant one when David came back over the river from being in exile because of Absalom. It was Shimmy who apologized and repented and made things right. And it was David who actually hung on to bitterness and at the end of his life looked to have Shimmy killed. And he was like, I promised I wouldn't kill him, but you, Solomon, didn't make that promise. So wipe him out because of what he said to me when I was leaving the city. I mean, it's that's that's hanging on to stuff. And that surprised me. Because again, David's again, I, I, David has an awesome heart, and David's an amazing leader, and I love David. But even in all of that, we can all allow. The lesson to me was we can all allow a seed of bitterness to sit there. And and David, in essence, let it sit there, and I'm sure most people didn't even know it was there. But at some level, he pretended it wasn't there until he needed it. And then he used the bitterness to, in essence, try and, and have someone uh, taken out, someone murdered. So even with the heart of God, a heart after God's own heart, in other words, he pursued God's heart, right? It doesn't mean it was a, it was perfect like God's heart. It means he pursued God's heart. He pursued God's heart, but that doesn't mean that you're exempt from, from these uh, character flaws, these, these lies, believing a lie and letting that lie take root in your life. And, and one of those ways that we go after lies, right, is by we go back to our true identity. We go back to what we were created to be. And we were created to be beings of light. And that's why I went from David into Genesis. I went into Genesis because I want, I want us to constantly be reminded about where we came from. And, and if you get a chance, we're going to start, you know, in a few weeks. But, uh, and I'll actually, you know what? I'm going to talk about Genesis. Uh, I'll do a couple, a couple short, um, you'll call them promos, a couple highlight uh, promos for the book of Genesis because I'm, I'm not done recording it. <laughs> but I did start. I did start. I think I have about 50 recordings in already. I think all total. I haven't mapped out to go about 65 episodes, so it'll be even longer than uh, even longer than David. But we'll work out how we're going to present that and how many we'll do. And we may double up the first few weeks, but just just to kind of get you guys into the Book of Genesis. But I think Genesis is all about. Uh, it's a wonderful. Uh, there's a there's a lot there. All right, we'll talk about it. Let me talk to you about it next week, but trust me, Genesis is going to be a great study on the story, right? Uh, where we emphasize the story. I'm not going to do all the science of Genesis, although science plays a part, archaeology plays a part, culture plays a part, as it always does. But we're going to talk about the story of Genesis because it is our beginning. And where we begin is where our identity comes from. And that's what I think David missed periodically, certain, certain levels of his life. He missed out on his true identity as a as a uh, a being of God, as a child of God. All right, hey, listen. Once again, 
I, I, I could ramble on and on about David. Feel free to call me, uh, have me stop by, um, come do a conference, whatever. I just, I could go on about David for days, as those of you that listened to the whole season already know. Have yourself a great day, everyone. Welcome, uh, Brian, once again, or thank Dave. Oh, Brian, you're going to have to cut this out, I think. Thank Brian for his amazing job producing this stuff. Thank my beautiful daughter, Anna, for her amazing voice and the graphics. Oh, you, the graphics she, she's done for Genesis, so good. And uh, and for all the people that just kind of helped this stuff happen, uh, you guys are awesome. I love you, and I love those of you that listen, and I look forward to talking next week about Genesis. I, I, I have to keep reminding myself, don't start now, Bob. Don't start now, because Genesis is really exciting. Can't wait to talk about it. Looking forward to it. See you all next week on The Epic Narrative. This concludes Season 1 of The Epic Narrative. We hope you enjoyed listening to the entire life story of David. To re-listen to your favorite episodes and to be notified about Season 2 coming in early 2022, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. From all of us at The Epic Narrative, thank you for listening.